you know, one of the more confusing seasons in the liturgical year has to be the season of Advents. So in contrast, when you think about ordinary time, ordinary time is obviously just like ordinary time. Um, Christmas is about the birth of Christ. Easter is about the resurrection of Christ. Lent has those three things, right? Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. But when it comes to Advent, again, it's a little bit confusing. And it doesn't help in a certain sense that Advent has the same liturgical color as Lent. And so by default, I think we think that Advent is sort of a penitential season, which is not completely off, but at the same time, it's not correct all the way as well. So uh, I want to spend some time today sort of unpacking what it means to actually prepare for the season of Advent. So as sort of a starting point, I think it's helpful to sort of unpack the etymology of the word Advent. So Advent comes from this Latin word Adventus, which means two things, actually. It means coming, but it also means presence. So most people, they pick up on the first part, but not necessarily the second. So again, the word Advent is, is both, right? It's coming and presence. So the whole idea is that mindful that Christ has come to us thousands of years ago. You know, think about this baby born in a manger in a little town of Bethlehem. And mindful of the fact that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And mindful on top of that, that he is present to us even now, closer to us than we are even to our own selves. What do we do? What do we not do? What do we let go? What do we change, right? And so how you answer that question is how you prepare for the season of Advent. Now that said, I think Advent is still kind of confusing for a lot of people because I think by default, without looking at the scriptures, people tend to default into a sense of tension or stress. So the whole idea is that Christ has come, Christ will come again, so therefore I am living in a state of panic, I am basically shaking in my boots. So the example that comes to mind, I remember years ago walking in downtown Toronto and walking past a store that was selling a bunch of different things, including t-shirts. And one of the t-shirts had the slogan, which basically said, you know, God is watching, so therefore keep busy. And uh, to this day, I, I find that kind of funny because it's, um, it's infinitely relatable, right? We've all been there. Uh, Christ has come, Christ will come again. Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. And on top of that, Christ is present to us even now. So by default, we we keep busy. We we kind of uh, take the buckshot approach. Uh, if I just do randomly good stuff, hopefully you know some of it will stick and, and Christ will not judge me as harshly uh, as compared to this if I just sat around and did nothing. But you know, even though that's what most of us might tend to do in response to the presence of Christ, um, that's why it's really important to look at the gospel. Like, what does the gospel actually say in terms of preparing for the coming of Christ? Well, certainly there's a lot of stories in the gospel related to Advent, but I just want to pick one. Um, and this is from the gospel of Luke chapter 21. So the Lord is talking about basically the end times. And he basically says this, Be on guard so that you might not be weighed down by the dissipation and drunkenness and worries of this life. And then later on, he says, be alert so that you might have the strength to withstand the things which are to come, you know, things uh, related and connected to the end times, but also so that you might have the strength to stand before the Son of Man. And implied in that, of course, is the final judgments. Now, in the face of it, both those particular statements might seem to be a variation of the same theme that we've been talking about thus far. Christ has come, Christ will come again, Christ is present to us even now, so therefore, abandon all hope, keep busy, give in to sort of the buckshot approach. But that's why it's important to know something about Jewish poetry. So to be honest, I don't know a lot about Jewish poetry, but I do know this. It's a typical thing in Jewish poetry to have two consecutive lines where one thing sort of expounds upon the previous line, right? So uh, they're saying different things, but at the same time, they're kind of talking about the same thing, right? So I'll give you a couple of examples. So think, for example, of the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. The Lord says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So again, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
two separate lines, but actually they're kind of expounding upon the same theme, right? So the exhortation or the command, again, is love your enemies, but how? Primarily by praying for them. So again, here are two lines where one line sort of expounds upon the previous line. I'll give you another example. So this is from the Gospel of John chapter 12, which in turn is an allusion to the book of Zechariah chapter 9. So the setting is basically Palm Sunday. So the Lord is entering into the city of Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. So the line basically goes like this. Uh, here comes our king basically riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And you see, what's interesting is that a lot of people look at this particular passage as, again, being two separate lines, right? So they see the line about the donkey, they see the line about the coal to the foal, and they think that Jesus is basically riding into the city of Jerusalem on two separate animals, which, if you think about it, is kind of ridiculous, right? And so basically what you're supposed to read here is a restatement of the same line, right? So Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on one animal, which is a donkey, but specifically a younger donkey, which, of course, is a foal. Okay, now hold that thought and go back to the gospel, right? So the Lord again says, be alert so that you might have the strength to stand before the Son of Man and withstand all these things which are to come, right? But then the question, of course, is how? How do you retain the strength? How do you stay alert? Well, again, going back to the idea of Jewish poetry, it's answered by the previous line, right? So how do you maintain the strength? How do you stay alert? By guarding your heart to make sure you're not weighed down by the dissipations, drunkenness, and worries of this life. Okay, but see, if you pull it all together, like, what's the gospel basically saying to us in terms of what we're supposed to do to prepare during the season of Advent? Well, it's kind of counterintuitive, but the idea clearly is not so much to keep busy. It's not to do randomly good stuff. It's not to kind of maintain the buckshot approach, hopefully that something sticks, right? But the idea, rather, is to basically simplify your life. And so when you examine your life, what is it that you can take away or remove or otherwise simplify to keep your mind and heart clear to perceive what it is that God wants you to do and on top of that, who it is he wants you to be. And on top of that, to have the strength to actually correspond to his particular inspirations to do the things that he wants you to do carefully and well. So to illustrate the point, think about the parable of the sower, which you find in many places in the gospel, but most notably perhaps in the gospel of Matthew chapter 13. So basically, you probably know the parable, like there's this sower who represents God, who's sowing the seed, which represents his word. And so the whole point of the parable is to basically illustrate to us like what we're supposed to do to uh, more readily receive God's transformative word in our hearts to become the persons that he's calling us to be, right? So that's basically the point of the parable. And to illustrate the point, uh, the Lord uses various images, right? So he uses the image of the path, the rocky ground, and the thorns. So to kind of keep things simple, perhaps we might begin with the images of the thorns and the rocky ground, which in turn represent this idea of fear of suffering, and on top of that, this idea of love of anything basically less than God, right? So that's what those two images basically represent. But that brings us, of course, to the image of the path, right? And the image of the path is slightly more complicated, but um, still relatively easy to unpack, right? So I, I think the key to unpacking this image of the path is to realize that it used to be the rich soil. Before it had this great capacity to receive the seed, but now things have been allowed to trample upon that soil such that now it's become the path, right? So, you know, various things, right? Like things, people, wagons, whatever the case may be. So once you realize that, perhaps you might understand what the image of the path is trying to convey. 
there are a lot of things that we allow into our lives that we allow to impinge upon our hearts, which results in becoming um, not as receptive as it originally was. So think about things like um, gossip, or think about social media, or think about you know just surfing on the internet, right? Binge watching on TV, like watching these streaming channels, all these different things. You know, it's certainly not an exhaustive list, but all of these things they have this, this effect of, of kind of impinging upon our hearts, such that they, again they become less receptive to, to receiving God's transformative word. These things aren't necessarily bad or inherently evil, but at the same time they do have this deleterious effect, if you will. Okay, so if you pull it all together, like what's the net effect? What's the main takeaway message with regards to the parable of the sower? Well, it's interesting to kind of identify what it doesn't say, right? So again, it doesn't say, okay, in preparation for the reception of the soil, um, do a lot of stuff or keep frantically busy or again, take the buckshot approach. It doesn't say that, right? So basically what it's saying in contrast is something relatively more passive, but at the same time firm, right? So don't be afraid of suffering. Um, don't allow yourself to be attached to anything less than God. And, and on top of that, you know, again, guard your heart. Guard your heart against superfluous stuff, which threatens to weigh down your heart to become less receptive to the Word of God. Things which might not necessarily be evil in themselves, but at the same time have the effect of weighing down your heart such that, again, you're not actually receptive to the good things that God wants you to receive. But of course, if you think about it, that alludes to our original gospel, Gospel of Luke chapter 21, right? Because in a certain sense, the parable of the sower is saying, don't allow your heart to be weighed down by the dissipation and drunkenness and worries of this life. And when you do that, when you're firm in this regard, you will stay alert and you will have the strength to withstand all these things which are to come. And on top of that, to stand before the Son of Man when he eventually returns. And may God bless you all.